So the, uh, the Old Testament is full of stories that uh, leave us amazed after we read them, from Noah's Ark to Moses and the Ten Plagues of Egypt, which Sean did an excellent job preaching on last week, uh, to Gideon's 300 warriors, to David and Goliath, to Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. The common thread through all of these stories, though, is that of ordinary men, and in some cases women who believed in God, and placed their faith and trust in him and became messengers and arbiters of justice who, with God's help, defeated his enemies. Today, I want to focus on one man who may seem a little bit more obscure than the ones that I've just uh, listed off, but I want to take a deeper look into who he is and what we know about him. And you've all probably read uh, the scriptures about this man at one time or another, And while on the surface it may seem like we don't know that much about him, the fact is we actually know a lot more than we might think. So the first mention of this man's name is found in the book of 2 Samuel, if you want to turn over there. And the first two instances where he's mentioned he's associated with uh, other groups of of soldiers, it's believed, called the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And we'll talk a little bit more about these groups later on in the lesson, but for now... I want to jump forward to the third mention of this man, which occurs in 2 Samuel chapter 23, and we'll start reading in verse 8. 2 Samuel 23 and verse 8. It says, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Uh, We'll call that first guy Josh. Uh, He was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800, whom he killed at one time. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, son of Ahoi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, And the men returned after him, only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shamoth, the son of A.G. the Herorite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it, and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam. When a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rehan, David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, Zariah, was chief of the thirty. And he wielded his spear against three hundred men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the thirty and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three." And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. 
The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three. And David set him over his bodyguard. And we'll stop there. So I wanted to give a little bit of context there. That's why we read a bit longer passage. These are men that were listed that helped David during his uh, conquest and um, some of them during uh, the time of him as an outlaw and then as he uh, assumed the, the throne of Israel. Uh, and these are uh, truly great exploits listed here from these men. It's, it's a fascinating uh, reading to go down and, and listen to these, uh, to read these off. Uh, we'll take a little bit of time to digest it. Um, in 2 Samuel 23, verses 1 through 7, it lists these um, words as uh, being recorded as the last words of David. So this would indicate that we are nearing the end of King David's life. Following these final words, the author begins to list off these names of mighty men who served under David. This group is broken up into subgroups called the Three and the Thirty. The Three, uh, Josh and Eleazar and Shemah, were well known uh, for their accomplishments and their exploits. Uh, the Thirty are listed later on uh, in verses 24 through 39, as well as in a parallel passage of uh, 1 Chronicles 11. And then two men specifically are singled out in verses 18 through 23. And it's the second man who I want to spend the rest of our time this morning studying. And that is uh, Benaiah. Uh, so from these four verses, verses 20 through 23, we learn a lot about Benaiah, whose name means Yahweh builds up. And let's go ahead and start with where he lived. Um, so we read that Benaiah was a valiant man of Kabzeel. Not a, lot of, not a lot is known about the city of Kabzeel, but we do know that it was the southernmost uh, city in the region of the land of Israel. It's described as an uttermost city of the tribe of Judah near the border of Edom in Joshua 15 and verse 21. And Edom was a kingdom uh, based in the territory to the south and east of the Dead Sea. The Edomites who inhabited the land of Edom were descendants of Esau, and they fostered a burning hatred for Israel that was likely passed down from their founding fathers. It's possible that Benaiah, who would one day become one of Israel's greatest warriors, grew up having to fight invading Edomite armies. We can read of Israel battling Edom in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, and also in 1 and 2 Chronicles. Now, during this time, uh, during the United Kingdom under Saul, David, and Solomon, Israel usually came out on the winning side of these battles. And one such occurrence is uh, found in 2 Samuel 8. If you want to turn over there, 2 Samuel 8 and verse 11. Second Samuel 8 and verse 11 says, These also King David dedicated to the Lord, together with the silver and gold that he dedicated from all the nations he subdued, from Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. 
Then he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Dropping down to verse 18, this is uh, the first mention of Benaiah. It says, And Benaiah the son of Jehoiada was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were priests. Uh, and it's here that we're first introduced to Benaiah. So while Benaiah may have lived in Kabzil, a city that belonged to the tribe of Judah, uh, we can trace his heritage back actually to a different tribe, and it is a priestly tribe. Uh, so while we know some about Benaiah, we actually know very little about his father, but we do know one uh, very important attribute, and that's that he was a chief priest of the tribe of Levi. Jehoiada was a leader among the priests, and it also says that he rallied 3,700 men to support David when he was crowned at Hebron. Um, we'll read that in 1 Chronicles 12 and verse 27. First Chronicles 12 and verse 27. It says, The prince Jehoiada of the house of Aaron and with him 3,700, as it's listing off the different tribes uh, and leaders that came to support David. And then also in 1 Chronicles 27 and verse 5. 1 Chronicles 27 and verse 5. Listing off the military divisions and leaders under King David, it says, The third commander for the third month was Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the chief priest, in his division were 24,000. This is the Benaiah who was a mighty man of the 30 and in command of the 30. So this means his son, Benaiah, uh, Jehoiada's son, is also from the tribe of Levi and a descendant of Aaron, the first high priest of Israel. When the Jews received the law of Moses at, at uh, Mount Sinai, the Lord gave commands regarding a formal priesthood for Israel. The priests would be Mel's from the tribe of Levi and were required to meet certain qualifications in order to serve. All priests were to be Levites according to the law, but not all Levites were priests, and this is an important distinction to make. Among these Levitical priests was the high priest. The first high priest, as we know, was Aaron, the brother of Moses. His sons and their descendants were to serve as the future high priests of the nation of Israel. Those Levites who were not priests were assigned duties connected with the tabernacle, and we can read about these duties in, in uh, Numbers chapter 3 and verse 5 uh, through the end of the chapter. They assisted the priests, they prepared offerings, they cared for the courts and the chambers of the sanctuary, and later the Levites were also involved in interpreting the law and serving as teachers. What we know is that Benaiah's father Jehoiada did serve as priest, However, it would appear uh, from the rest of what we know about Benaiah that he followed a slightly different path. Benaiah is perhaps most famous for the three exploits listed in 2 Samuel 23, verses 20 through 21. And we'll go back and, and read that again just to refresh our memory. 2 Samuel 23, verses 20 through 21. It says, And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabzil, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff 
and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. So first here it says he killed uh, two aerials of Moab. Uh, in some of your translations, that word aerial may be translated hero uh, or sons of Moab. Um, the word aerial itself in Hebrew, uh, in my margin and in different dictionaries that I looked at, um, the exact meaning of the word is unknown. It's similar to uh, airy, which also appears in the same verse and is the Hebrew word for lion. Um, <clears throat> so the Hebrew lexicon and dictionary didn't provide uh, a clear definition for uh, Ariel, but it says it could possibly mean hero heroic or lion-like, uh, which would line up. Uh, I do get a slight kick out of the fact that uh, it mentions uh, Benea defeating hero-like or lion-like um, uh, heroes of Moab, and then in the very uh, same verse it mentions that he killed an actual lion. Um, when and where he killed the lion uh, is recorded. Verse 20 says that Benea went down into a pit and struck down the lion on a day when snow had fallen. So if you thought killing a lion was hard enough, think how much more difficult it would be to be in a tightly confined space, uh, like a pit with snow around you, slippery, wet, cold, uh, and you're having to defeat uh, the, the king of the jungle. Um, so so that, that's a, an incredible exploit uh, of Benea, and, and one that almost boggles the mind, but uh, it did say that he accomplished this. We don't, we don't know where that kind of confidence came from, uh, for someone to go down voluntarily into, into a pit like that and, and uh, challenge um, that mighty beast. But um, whether it was from God or something else, you, you have to be crazy or have a, a strong, strong faith in the Lord uh, to, to do something like that. Thirdly, it says Benea uh, defeated an Egyptian giant. Uh, we have to go to First Chronicles 11 and verse 23 to get a little more information about, about this one here. First Chronicles 11 and verse 23 says, Benaiah struck down an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits tall. The Egyptian had in his hand a spear like a weaver's beam, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. <clears throat> so it says the, uh, the Egyptian was a man of uh, great stature, five cubits to be exact, which with a cubit roughly being about 18 inches, uh, we can determine that the Egyptian would have been about seven and a half uh, feet tall. It also says he had in his hand a spear like a weaver's beam. Now, a weaver's beam is a cylinder-shaped wooden rod that would have uh, made up part of a loom. Uh, it appears uh, from historical records that uh, the looms of that period, uh, this beam would have been about two and a half inches in diameter. So this is a serious spear that this guy is carrying. Uh, it would have been an impressive weapon, uh, looking weapon to behold. And it, it says that Benea approached this man with nothing but a staff. And he disarmed him, he took his spear away from him, and then proceeded to kill him with his own spear. So this is on the level of, of David that we're talking about here. Um, David obviously uh, took down Goliath with nothing but uh, a sling and some stones. Um, with David, you would have had distance separating you between Goliath with that sling. Uh, so Benea is, is uh, very impressive that uh, all he had in his hand was a staff and he was able to uh, disarm this, this, uh, this giant. So if we stopped right here, I think we could agree that Benea's uh, story in the Bible is uh, one of the more impressive ones. Uh, he's definitely an interesting man. 
Um, he lived in the, the borderlands of Israel. He was the son of a priest, a uh, descendant of Aaron, uh, and a mighty warrior who, who served under David and is listed, uh, specifically called out by name uh, as one of his mighty men. But there's one more thing uh, about Benaiah that we need to discuss, and it has to do uh, with that last bit, and that's uh, his service to David. So we, uh, we can't know for certain how long uh, Benaiah served uh, under David. Um, so these, these men are listed in the chapter following right after Saul's death. Uh, Benaiah is included here among those men uh, who supported David to make him king. And then again, he's, he's mentioned in 1 Kings 1 and verse 32 when David is on his deathbed. And so this would lead one to assume uh, that he served under David at least for the duration of his entire kingship, if not longer, from the time that he uh, took the throne in Hebron uh, to the time that he's on his deathbed. What we do know for a fact is that David trusted Benaiah and elevated him to one of the top positions within his kingdom. As head of the king's bodyguard, Benaiah would have been very close to the king and responsible for David's uh, security and safety. A good comparison today uh, would be the head of the Secret Service. It also says in 1 Chronicles 27 and verse 6 that Benaiah was in command of the 30. This is that elite group uh, that we've talked about of mighty warriors who served under David. Uh, it also says that he was in command of the Cherethites and the Pelethites. We don't know a lot about these two groups, but we can distinguish from the different passages where they're mentioned that they are a uh, special subgroup of soldiers. Some scholars believe that they were mercenaries who probably began to attach themselves to David during his years as an outlaw. Um, but whatever their background, they appear uh, multiple times throughout the Bible uh, during passages that are describing uh, David's army. They seem to have been especially active during times of crisis for David, remaining loyal to him in all three revolts that occurred against him uh, when he fled from Absalom, uh, the uprising and rebellion of Sheba, and then also when uh, Adonijah, his son, uh, tried to illegitimately crown himself king. It was these two groups, the Cherethites and Pelethites, who formed the bodyguard for Solomon's anointing. Um, so uh, the, these two groups are, are very close to David as well. Um, whether these formed the actual bodyguard around David or if they were just uh, uh, another subgroup like the three and the 30, it says Benaiah was in charge of them. It's unclear if there's overlap in these three groups. Sometimes uh, men are mentioned in the three as well as the 30. Um, Benaiah being in charge of the 30 and then also in charge of the Cherethites and the Pelethites. Uh, but it is uh, fascinating to read that he was in, in charge of all of these groups at one point or another. And uh, we read a lot in the Bible about Joab, the commander of David's army, uh, but we cannot look or overlook or dismiss Benaiah, uh, who appears to be an important military leader for David. So the last mention of Benaiah can be found in 1 Kings 1 and, and uh, 1 Kings chapter 1 and chapter 2. I will read a little bit about that. <clears throat> In 1 Kings 1 and verse 1, it says that David was old and advanced in years. 
And dropping down to uh, verse 8, we read that it was at this time that Adonijah, his son, who would have been the fourth son of David and his eldest living, uh, heir apparent to the throne of Israel, exalted himself, it says in verse 8. Put simply, he followed in the steps of his brother Absalom and tried to uh, usurp the throne, albeit in a soft coup uh, kind of way. We read here that David was dying, and all indicators would have pointed to Adonijah being crowned king once his father passed, but we know this, this wasn't in God's plan. So let's read uh, 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 5 through 10. It says, Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. He, confirmed, he conferred with Joab the son of Zariah and with Abiathar the priest, and they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok the priest and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and Nathan the prophet and Shimei and Ray and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened cattle by the serpent's stone, which is beside Enrogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah but he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah, or the mighty men, or Solomon his brother. So in this last passage, we see two factions developing. Uh, this is after a uh, 40-year, very successful, from a military perspective, reign of David. Um, as he's uh, on his deathbed, we see um, Adonijah, his son, rising up and assuming the throne. Uh, you have Adonijah on the one side, along with Joab the commander, Abiathar the priest, and the royal officials of Judah. And then on the other side, we have Solomon, Nathan the prophet, Zadok the priest, and Benaiah. So to summarize what happens next, so we're not reading both chapters, Nathan the prophet goes to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and convinces her to go with him to see David and ask why Adonijah is acting like king when David promised Bathsheba that her son Solomon would sit on the throne after he passed. They state their case, and uh, we know David listens to them. He promises Bathsheba and Nathan that Solomon will reign after him, and then he calls in Zadok the priest and Benaiah. He commands them to have Solomon ride on the king's mule and for them to take him down to Gihon, where Zadok and Nathan were commanded by David to anoint Solomon as the next king over Israel. Upon hearing this order from the king uh, in 1 Kings 1 and verse 36, Benaiah says, Amen, may the Lord, the God of my Lord, the King, say so. As the Lord has been with my Lord, the King, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. In 1 Kings 2, we see the culmination of Benaiah's service to King David and to Solomon, his son. Uh, this is the last uh, time that Benaiah is mentioned uh, in the Bible. Uh, we won't read the whole uh, second chapter, but Benaiah basically becomes... Uh, Solomon's righteous executioner after his father's past. So following the king's orders, uh, Benaiah, we read, strikes down Adonijah, Joab, and Shimei. And uh, we'll, we'll specifically read uh, the account of Joab's execution, and then uh, we'll draw some final application from this study. So let's read 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 28 through 35. 1 Kings 2, 28. 
When the news came to Joab, for Joab had supported Adonijah, although he had not supported Absalom, Joab fled to the tent of the Lord and caught hold of the horns of the altar. And when it was told King Solomon, Joab has fled to the tent of the Lord, and behold, he is beside the altar, Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go, strike him down. So Benaiah came to the tent of the Lord and said to him, The king commands, Come out. But he said, No, I will die here. Then Benaiah brought the king word again, saying, Thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. The king replied to him, Do as he has said, strike him down and bury him, and thus take away from me and from my father's house the guilt for the blood that Joab shed without cause. The Lord will bring back his bloody deeds on his own head, because without the knowledge of my father David, he attacked and killed with the sword two men more righteous and better than himself. Abner, the son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah. So shall their blood come back on the head of Joab and on the head of his descendants forever. But for David and his descendants, and for his house, and for his throne, there shall be peace from the Lord forevermore. Then Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck him down and put him to death. And he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army in place of Joab, and the king put Zadok the priest in the place of Abiathar. So we read that uh, Benaiah's final reward uh, for his many years of service to King David and Solomon was his promotion to commander of the whole army of Israel. He accomplished God's will by eliminating the enemies of Solomon, and it says in verse 46 that after this, the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Through his servant Benaiah, God's plan was carried out. So with a bit of time that we have left, I want to draw a few applications from what we've talked about here today uh, for all of us to consider. So what can we learn from Benaiah? Number one is where we're from doesn't matter. It matters where we're going. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Ephesians that we were all once dead in the trespasses and sins of the world in which we all once walked. But rather than condemning us to an eternal punishment, God, in his infinite mercy and love for us, has made us alive together again in Christ Jesus. Let's read Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 through 10. Ephesians 2 and verse 1. Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that, one man, so that no one may boast." For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now that we have been born again in Christ, we are called upon uh, to walk 
a life of good works. Like Benea, it doesn't matter where we come from. It matters where we're going and what we do in our lives. Let's not forget that Jesus was born in Nazareth, which earned him ridicule and scorn uh, on several occasions. Our background and upbringing isn't what defines us. It's who we choose to become that will determine our destiny. And more importantly, it's what we allow God to mold us into. We all have different skills and different strengths, so let's use what we've been blessed with and give glory to God who saved us. If we do this, we'll find ourselves on the narrow path that leads to heaven. Number two, Christ's army is similarly made up of warrior priests. God's word describes Christians as soldiers in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 3 through 4. We are called to put on the whole armor of God in Ephesians 6 and verse 10 through 17. But Christians are also described as priests in 1 Peter 2 and verse 5. Let's turn over and read there. 1 Peter 2 and verse 5. Starting in verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. And then again in verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're also called priests again in Revelations 1, verses 4 through 6. Like Benea, the church is made up of warriors whose mission should be in life to please the one who enlisted us, and that's Christ. And we're also priests who should be offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. We can't lose sight of who we are in God's kingdom. We can't grow lazy, passive, and apathetic. We are soldiers, and we are also priests. We must lead our lives with that type of mentality as we go out into the world. We get to make that choice every day that we wake up and take breath. Our decisions today, tomorrow, and in the rest of the time we've been allotted here on earth will be remembered. What kind of legacy do we want to leave behind? More importantly, Few may remember us here on earth, um, but the deeds that we do here on earth in the body will be the bar that we're measured against uh, on Judgment Day. So we can, we can take confidence knowing that um, if few, few here on earth know uh, what we did, um, ultimately the one that, that matters will. Uh, let's read Romans 2 and verse 6 through 11 to drive this point home. Romans 2 and verse 6. Romans 2.6 says, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Fourthly, as Christians, we are called to be guardians of the gospel. Paul urges um, Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 20 
as well as in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 13, and we'll read both of those. Uh, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 20, if you turn over there. First Timothy 6.20 says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. And then again in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 13, he repeats that phrase. 2 Timothy 1.13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So Timothy was urged by Paul uh, to guard the good deposit that had been entrusted to him, as it was Benaiah's responsibility to guard the king, something he did day and night for most of his life. It's our responsibility as well to guard the gospel. God has given us the gospel, the good news, in trust, and he wants to see what we'll do with it. He has deposited it to our account, and he expects that we'll guard it, um, this, this priceless, precious treasure. It's our duty to defend the sacred words of Scripture from manipulation, from false doctrine, and error. And just like Benea, failure is not an option. And then lastly, we need to live a life of service to God in order to receive honor from above. Benea is a great example to each of us on how to live a life of service and then at the end receive honor for it. God is so great that he has promised us a reward if we obey and follow his commandments. This isn't something he needed to do. He's totally within his right to command our total servitude without question and not offer or promise us anything for return, in return for it. But he doesn't do this. In turn, he, he leaves it up to us as free moral agents to decide if we want to follow him. And for those who do, he's promised us uh, a reward so great and so unimaginable he has promised us an eternal uh, salvation and rest in heaven. We have to have faith in him, in him, though, to receive this reward, as it says in Hebrews 11 and verse 6. We know we'll reap what we sow, so let us live a life that will end with that crown of life that he's promised to all those who love him in James 1 and 12. We'll all be judged by the same standard, what we did in the body um, while we were here on the earth. And so like Benaiah, let's allow God to build us up by following his will and doing great deeds of righteousness. If we do this, uh, we'll receive our reward. So that's my lesson this morning. I hope it's been encouragement to, to each of you. Um, we read in uh, Romans 15, 4, that everything that was written in the Old Testament was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scripture and the encouragement, we might have hope. We can have hope that we serve an almighty God and a powerful God by studying the stories of men like Benea. We can be confident that no matter what, even though in the moment we may not see it, God's will is always carried out. The question for you and I today is, will we let him use us to carry out his plan, or will he have to turn to another? Will we serve him and further his kingdom while we are living here on earth in the short time that we have? Or instead, because there is only an either or here, will we resist him, oppose him, and turn away from him? You can make that decision right now, this morning. We encourage you to do so if you feel the need. Today, this very moment, you can choose to follow him. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you can confess his name this morning, repent of your sins, 
and be baptized into Jesus for remission of those sins. If you've been saved, but you've departed from following Christ, now is the time for you to re-enlist and come back. Make your life right today and start back on the path that leads to salvation. So whatever your need is this morning, we implore you to come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.